Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. As always, a reminder that An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. I've been a member of New Deal for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now on the board of supervisors for Santa Cruz County. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to the special edition of An Honorable Profession. I'm Debbie Cox Bolton, CEO of The New Deal. We're proud to support so many of the leaders featured on this podcast. At The New Deal, we were grateful for the leadership of so many state and local public servants in dealing with the unique challenges of holding an election in the midst of a pandemic, issues around voting access, election administration, and of course, an unprecedented attempt by the White House to subvert democracy. In this episode, we hear from two New Deal leaders on the front lines of these challenges in closely contested states, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and Adrian Fontes, the county recorder from Maricopa County, Arizona. They spoke at this month's New Deal Leaders Conference with Liz Howard, a national leader on election security issues from the Brennan Center for Justice in their democracy program, which works to give all Americans an equal voice in our elections and ensure government upholds the rule of law. Their conversation highlighted lessons learned from November and the need and opportunity for continued reform to safeguard democracy. I'm Liz Howard. I'm a senior counsel for the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, and I'm the former Deputy Commissioner of Elections in Virginia. I am so honored to be with you this afternoon and so grateful for all of the work of the New Deal, especially their work in support of leaders who promote progressive and innovative solutions to the problems that we're facing. And I think their work has never been more important than this year as we've certainly faced so many problems, and as we finally bring this year to a close. We know that many of the issues that we faced in 2020 are going to linger into 2021 and perhaps expand. And this concern certainly applies to our democracy. The beginning of 2020 was a dark period for many of our election officials. The chronic underfunding of our election infrastructure and our election officials has left many of them ill-prepared for what, what we saw this year. However, in these dire circumstances, we definitely found many heroes, election officials who refused to bow and in essence doubled their efforts to make voting easy, safe, and secure. And today we're joined by two of those champions for democracy, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who took immediate action in the face of the pandemic. Her state had one of the first primary elections in the midst of this pandemic, and she immediately worked with locals to ensure that voters received an absentee ballot application, and in addition, a paid envelope to return their absentee ballot application. And that absolutely set the stage for her work and the policies that she set for the remainder of the year in the lead up to the November 2020 election through the rest of the pandemic to make voting safe and secure in Michigan. And no surprise to many of us, in spite of the dire circumstances, Michigan saw record voter registration and a record turnout 
in November 2020. Adrian Fontes, the recorder for the second largest election jurisdiction in our country, Maricopa County, is also such a champion. He also faced a primary that was held at the very beginning of the pandemic. Adrian's uh, recorder Fontes' response was to immediately pursue an attempt to proactively provide absentee ballots to all of his voters. He, you know, as expected, and he knew, uh, the conservative leaders in his state immediately fought to prevent him from doing this, but he absolutely set the stage for making it as easy as possible for all of the voters in Maricopa County to vote and to register. And again, no surprise, in Maricopa County, we saw a record turnout in the November 2020 election. And I personally am, am so very glad to see both of them. You know, it has been a tough year and uh, I'm so, so appreciative of their smiles and, and to be here with them today. And Secretary, I'm going to start with you today. You know, 2020 was like no election ever in our history. And you did so much. And, you know, so many states had to change uh, policies and change procedures. What do you think worked really well in Michigan? And what were some of the challenges that you faced in deciding on selecting those options and implementing them? Well, it's great to be here and great to be part of this conversation, especially with two great allies as Liz and Adrian have been uh, throughout this year and throughout the work. And so, yeah, this has really been an incredible year, but it's, it's been a successful year, truly. I mean, it was a successful year uh, that we tracked week by week by week, starting in January, as we knew we were going to be preparing for lots of different potential contingencies, dramatic uh, challenges to the security of our elections. We anticipated there would be a lot of misinformation. We were already preparing to implement a statewide vote from home effort because voters voted overwhelmingly in Michigan in 2018 to amend our state constitution to give themselves the right to vote absentee. So they were really on top of this before any of us were. Uh, and it was really just an honor to continue their will. I think what we noticed early on, I mean, March 10th was our presidential primary. We had four elections this year, one in March, one in May, one in August, and then, of course, the grand finale in November. And what we saw March 10th was the storm of the pandemic had not yet hit Michigan. We had a very successful high turnout presidential primary with, with a lot of uh, people registering to vote on Election Day, which was also a new right, and voting uh, from home or absentee. And uh, two hours after the polls closed March 10th, we got the first, the note, I got a call from the governor saying she was about to announce the first two coronavirus cases uh, diagnosed in Michigan. So from then on, we began preparing for May and noted, noting importantly at that point that as we, and sort of to your question about what guided our decisions, that we already knew we were going to be under intense scrutiny because of Michigan. But on top of that, that every decision we made was going to create a precedent for how to manage elections in the midst of a pandemic. And when we saw other states consolidating precincts, that didn't work. So we immediately began recruiting poll workers statewide in April to avoid the need to close down precincts, but also began encouraging people to know there are other options so they didn't have to vote in person, getting PPE, all of that. But the other big decision we made early on, and this seems you know antiquated now, but it was a really big deal at the time, we were under a lot of pressure to delay our election in May. And a lot of states did. Ohio delayed their primary. And we saw a lot of states make that decision for their, you know, in, and everyone makes their own decisions. But for me, it was really important to use that May election to demonstrate that it is possible to, to hold an election in the midst of a pandemic, to use the fact that it was a local election, only 10% of our uh, electorate or jurisdictions were a part of it, to pilot ways that we may need to prepare for the fall. And that was such a critical decision. It was met with a lot of 
pushback, particularly from my predecessor who, who demanded that we delay the election. I knew that in doing so, we would create a precedent that could create a narrative that elections could be delayed in the fall, which we knew was unacceptable. Uh, and that secondly, we'd miss an opportunity to begin building to manage a, a record turnout election in, in a pandemic in the fall. And that we should instead build for that instead of hoping that it would have gone away by then, which we know it didn't. So that was a critical decision we made early on. And then that set the tone for every week to follow, where we immediately learned from the May election. We mailed applications to every voter participating in that May election as well, so they could vote from home. 99% of the voters did. And then that enabled us to begin setting the stage to prepare for August and November in the same way and ultimately put us on a path towards success. Thank you so much. Recorder Fontes, what were some of the decisions that you made that you thought worked really well and were important to the success that you saw? Uh, well, Liz and Secretary Benson, I want to thank you and thank New Deal and, and, and thank all the folks who help New Deal do the work that they do. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, be a part of this organization and be able to talk about this. You know, the secretary mentioned several elections in 2020. Uh, interestingly, when Michigan was having their presidential primary on March 10th, we were actually having jurisdictional elections in Tempe and Chandler and around Maricopa County, and then getting set for one week later to have our presidential preference election on March 17th. So we had election days one week apart from one another where we had to do what we do every four years here in Arizona, and that is deal with sort of this really weird presidential thing that happens in the middle of our four-date election calendar, which is every year. Uh, March, May, August, and November. And 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 yes, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we did take some unprecedented steps and some bold moves, and we were stopped uh, from trying to do what was necessary, operating almost in the exact same environment uh, that the secretary was operating in in Michigan. You know, we wanted to do everything in light of helping the voters to actually get their ballots, turn out, and do what we could, not just to have a good solid election with great turnout, uh, but to try to maximize that as much as possible. Some of the, the things, uh, as was mentioned by the secretary, that were interesting individual challenges, I'll just talk about a couple of the specifics. Right before our election, I think it was about a week and a half ahead of time, the state of California declared an emergency and sucked all of the PPE out of the supply chain in the Western United States and that meant that whatever we were getting ready to order and had uh, ready for us, all of a sudden ended up getting diverted. And so we had no choice but to switch from a precinct-based polling place model into a vote center model, where you didn't go to an assigned precinct, but you were able to vote at any of the precincts around the entire county. Now, when you're talking about uh, almost, well, about two and a half million voters, nearly 800 precincts, uh, you're talking about a pretty massive endeavor. And then having to reprogram all of the electronic uh, check-in site books that we have engineered here, plus being able to print the different ballot styles for every single possible voter at every single possible vote center uh, was a significant challenge. And so our IT staff, uh, the folks that we had as partners along the way, really did yeoman's work. And, and, and it, you know, it, it, it's... It's hard to do this without the right people on the ground, uh, right? So the programmers on the backside, God bless those guys. They stayed up a couple of nights in the in a row. It was all Red Bull and Monsters uh, up on the fourth floor over at the admin building to keep them awake and programming. 
And when we got into the fall, I'll give you one other little example. We actually had to end up changing our voter registration date in uh, October, and it changed twice based on litigation and court orders. And I think what a lot of people don't realize uh, that, uh, and, and this was again as a response to COVID-19 and litigation, what folks don't realize is you can change a voter registration date, but you've got probably a dozen and a half different things that happen based on that one date. And so if you're not in the election administration world, if you're sitting on a, on a bench somewhere wearing a black robe, you say, well, let's just move the date from here to there. Well, yeah, judge, wait, because uh, then we got this and this and this and this and this. And if you're the subject of a ruling where you're not actually included to explain these sorts of things, uh, it's no wonder that we had to scramble. And we didn't just get that date changed once on us in the fall. We got it changed twice on us. So at the administrator's level, as the registrar of voters, you know, for 2.6 million Americans, we really had to scramble around a lot. And I give credit to the uh, dedication of the folks that we hired, right? Those temporary workers who come in for a couple months at a time, the folks who work the vote centers, the folk who, folks who talk to voters on the ground, our folks answering the phones and, and returning the emails, they were incredibly, incredibly ready to respond uh, and willing to go. And, 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 and I cannot uh, express sufficiently my gratitude to the citizens of Maricopa County, Arizona. You know, for our fall election, we needed uh, around 3,500 folks to work the election from truck drivers and warehouse workers to, to uh, you know, folks to clean and, and catalog equipment at the end, adjudicators and, and, and validators and, and judges and folks. We had over 20,000 people apply for those 3,500 jobs. And so I, I have a lot of faith uh, in the folks who not only did the work, but the folks out there who wanted to do the work. You know, democracy is alive and well in America, and it's not just because of folks like the secretary and myself who get to be out in front of these things. It's all those folks back at the home office who are still, frankly, to this day, uh, cleaning, cataloging, and preparing equipment. Because guess what? We've got elections in March, and this doesn't stop whether I'm going to be around or not. And so kudos to the folks on the ground. They're the ones that actually made this happen across the entire republic. Yeah, there were so many heroes, really, in this election. And I think, you know, certainly one of my concerns, especially when I see some of the feedback and, and you know, in reality, some of the death threats that election officials and others that were involved in elections have received, you know, I am very excited to hear that, you know, you have so many people that are already ready and willing to work in your upcoming elections. But can we talk about that for a second? And can we talk about any concerns, if you have concerns or if not, why not, about the kind of uh, narrative, uh, the negative narrative and the attack from, from the White House and from others and what you think that might be doing to, to those other people that are so imperative and, and to our election officials that we need in order to run safe and secure elections. Secretary, did you want to take this first? I know y'all have in, implemented uh, so many innovative uh, solutions to recruit new poll workers and, and to make sure that you had plenty of people um, to help with the November and so many other elections. 
Yeah, I mean, just briefly, I mean, back in that preparation for that May election, recognizing that we saw Wisconsin have to have to reduce polling locations due to a lack of poll workers. We launched a poll worker recruitment effort for the May election in April, thinking we'd get a couple hundred, which is really more or less what we needed. We got 2,010 days of people signing up in the midst of the first wave of the pandemic to protect democracy. And by the end of the election cycle, we had 33,000 individuals signing up to be election workers, which was an abundance much more than we had ever anticipated. But that really reflects what we're going to see now, I think, uh, moving forward, which is that on both sides of the aisle, at the end of the day, I believe that people want their vote to count. They want their elections to work and they want to, to believe in democracy. And they have every reason after this year's elections to believe in democracy because of the reality of what we all accomplished. And I appreciate the elevation of election workers, poll workers, our local election administrators, state election administrators this year, uh, because uh, it's important for people to embrace those leaders, but also want to be those leaders. And so I think moving forward, we're going to see a lot more people wanting to do more than vote. I certainly hope so. And investing their time and energy in making democracy work. And hopefully in that recognizing that we all have to do that in order for the the republic and democracy itself to work and stay healthy moving forward. And Adrian? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things uh, from my perspective was you know, when I came into office in January of 2017, Maricopa County uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, was used, used to be the home of uh, the the former alleged toughest sheriff in America, a very red county. We have a four to one majority Republican Board of Supervisors. The Arizona legislature has been dominated by Republicans for a long time. All of our statewide officers were Republicans when I took office. And I replaced a 28-year veteran uh, in this space. And so when the 2018 election came around, we already were at that point receiving some threats because as you know, opening the doors to democracy and letting a lot more people vote uh, resulted in some way in having the first Democrat elected to the US Senate in Kirsten Cinema from Arizona for a while. We ended up electing uh, Katie Hobbs, our secretary, uh, Secretary Benson's counterpart here in Arizona. So we ended up you know, receiving that in 2018. So. The threats, uh, the un-American attitude of, if I don't lose, I want to change the rules after the game's over type of thing, uh, sort of this petulant crybaby attitude that we're seeing across the nation. We saw a little bit of that in 2018. So it's not new for us here in Maricopa County. I think the real question, and uh, Secretary Benson sort of alluded to this for sure, is are we going to be able to, to take that put it in a box and move it to the side and recognize that, you know, this really weak attempt at authoritarian takeover of our democracy is really just a sideshow. And while some people are more willing to entertain it and let it go and kind of uh, sort of just watch it happen and be dismissive of it, a lot of us are really not very happy with it uh, because it creeps. And we see it creeping into a lot of other places. We see a lot of elected officials, particularly on the national stage, avoiding the kind of accountability and responsibility to stand up for the democratic system of governance that we have. Folks who are sort of hedging towards a personality instead of towards uh, the security of our democracy and really the underlying integrity of the republic itself. Uh, and that's really kind of disappointing to see. But at the end of the day, uh, as with our poll workers and, and all the folks that I talked about a little earlier, I have faith 
uh, in America. And I think that's kind of at the core of this. What we see from folks who are, you know, making these threats, the folks who are sort of hedging their bets, they lack faith in a system that is actually operated in a bipartisan way. Uh, I, I don't know the specific rules in Michigan or any other state, uh, but I know in Arizona, when we open those envelopes to pull those absentee ballots out, it's a Republican and a Democrat sitting across the table from each other. When we do electronic adjudication, it's a Republican and a Democrat sitting there looking at those screens and making those decisions together. Uh, when we do ballot duplication, again, bipartisan boards across the entire spectrum, even to our mandatory hand count audit at the end of the election, that's run by the political parties. And so the people inside the warehouse, the folks who are actually doing the work, they're the keepers of the faith. They're keeping that flame burning bright. And I believe a lot more in them than I do in the folks who are out there running amok and making a mockery of American democracy. So I, I think we're going to be fine. It's going to take hard work, but, um, uh, you know, it's like, it's like the old saying is don't let the, uh, don't let them keep you down. I, I can't, I can't curse anymore. My staff won't let me. Sorry. Uh, thank you. And, and thanks to your staff for that wise guidance. Um, <laughs> I did want to touch base with both of you because I think uh, Arizona and Michigan had a slightly different stance, or at least your legislatures took a slightly different stance here. Um, before the election, one of the issues that many election officials did a really good job about working to educate the public on and, and something that we saw absolutely impact the perception of how well the election was run had to do with when election officials were allowed to engage in, in the process that Adrian referred to earlier of opening the absentee ballots, reviewing the absentee ballots and processing them and subsequently counting them. Secretary, I mean, I, I recall that you, you know, tried to work with your legislature to enable, uh, to have them allow for local election officials to start this process earlier. And, and I think they gave a fig leaf, maybe 24 hours or something. But can you talk about kind of that decision, how that impacted election officials and, and, and what, you know, is there anything that we can do looking forward in, in that specific area? Well, yeah, I certainly think, you know, we, we need partners in our legislature to recognize when clerks are saying we need these basic nonpartisan administrative updates to our law, they should be responsive to that. And instead, politics got in the way. Uh, some would surmise, uh, and some surmise at the time, I mean, we advocated for pre-processing of absentee ballots from beginning in March of 2019, uh, up until we sort of got 10 hours in large communities in September. And, uh, you know, I, I think now a lot of the leaders in the legislature, many of whom are term limited, have said, oh, yeah, we probably should have actually listened. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is we were just in a full execution mode this year. And so when we knew we wouldn't get that that support from the legislature, we began increasing the number of machines and recruiting poll workers to increase our capacity. And we really, you know, in August, in our August primary, it took 40 hours to process and tabulate 1.6 million absentee ballots statewide. Uh, again, beginning on election day morning, going till about uh, 9 p.m. the next day. Uh, we doubled the number of absentee ballots from 1.6 to 3.3 million in November but we kept that number the same through increasing capacity so that 24 hours after the polls closed, 
we were able to um, more or less announce the results of the of the statewide election. And notably, right around that time is when people started showing up to where absentee ballots are being counted and demanding sort of saw the political strategy unfold that we've been living in this, since then. But I'm really proud that uh, everything went very smooth. We finished twice as, as faster as we thought we would, but that's not sustainable. And now we need the legislature to do their part and, and give us what they give Arizona, Florida, Ohio, and many other states, the ability to pre-process those absentee ballots so that we're not uh, every year enduring in, in this heartburn on election day, uh, but instead managing elections in a much more humane way. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people were very surprised to learn that election officials in different states aren't subject to the same rules as far as when they can start processing absentee ballots and or tabulating absentee ballots. That absolutely caused for uh, different timelines for when election officials were able to provide complete unofficial results from state to state. Adrian, I think that y'all got a little a little extra time this year. How did the, I don't know, maybe extra week impact your ability to process and tabulate absentee ballots? And you know, how long would it have taken but for the extra time um, that you were given? Yeah, well, we worked very diligently as uh, elections officials with the the elections directors and the County Recorders Association across Arizona. It's a bipartisan group, right? Uh, uh, The very clerks and and career professionals that Secretary Benson was just alluding to. And we went to our legislature and in a past session, I can't remember if it was 20 or 19, and they extended our time period before election day to process these ballots from seven days to 14 days. Now, very interestingly, the way we process them is gonna be different than the way they get processed, for example, in Michigan. And the fact that there are 15 counties in Arizona, and I think a heck of a lot more in Michigan, uh, and depending on the size of the jurisdiction means that regardless of how much more time or how much less time, you're gonna get different processing time per ballot because of those local regulations as well. So this is a very interesting space uh, that I think a lot of people need to recognize. Elections are different everywhere across the United States, over 3,000, and I think it's 3,300 counties and parishes across the country. And we all do it a little bit differently, which is great. Uh, So yeah, they gave us 14 days. And here's the interesting thing, from 2016 to 2020, just in Maricopa County alone, not only did we increase the number of eligible voters by about 500,000 mm. from about 2.1 to just under 2.6 million in Maricopa County alone. We went from 74% to 80% turnout, a little over 80%. That means as a raw number, we had 600,000 more ballots in just Maricopa County alone. So uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the legislature and the governor uh, for signing off that, uh, uh, signing off on that law that gave us that extra time. Had we not had that amount of time, uh, I think we would have run right up to the canvas, which is about, uh, which is, uh, I think it's about three weeks after election day, uh, and we would have been jamming the entire time. Now, again, that has to do with the different way that we process those ballots before we get them out of the envelope, and so forth. So, uh, it's not an apples to apples comparison when you're talking about expanding. Uh, and when you're talking about a massive jurisdiction like Maricopa County and the volume that we have to deal with, uh, it's also a little bit different, too. So without that expansion that we got, and it was a bipartisan effort, we worked together with them. And, and we in Arizona generally, we got a pretty good system. I think we have a bad reputation, but we have a really good system. Uh, and we do work together uh, pretty well. 
uh, behind the scenes. I, I, I think, you know, it's a little wild west. We like putting it out there that we're a little nuts, but, uh, you know, on the inside, we're just one happy uh, scorpion eating family. Uh, and, uh, but, but, but you got to have those folks at the table, policymakers. You got to have us at the table so that you can make intelligent, data driven decisions regarding the administration of elections, because the administration of elections is not political or should not be political. It's about efficiency. It's about nimbleness. It's about agility. It's about getting the right resources in the right places to do the job well, quickly, verifiably, and so that we can maintain the integrity of our elections, which I think uh, I think we've done pretty well. I mean, you know, as we close up, I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for the incredible work that you did in 2020 for for voters and our democracy. And thanks so much to any election officials that are on the line and that are, are here with us today. We've got about one more minute. I would love to kind of get some closing thoughts from, from both of you, Secretary Benson. Well, I think, you know, we all have a role to play in ensuring that moving forward, our elections continue to be smooth and secure, whether it's uh, individuals using their, your very, and everyone here has, has a platform of influence. Use that platform to speak the truth about the success we had in elections this year. Use your platform to encourage or your leadership to encourage others to actually work in election administration, either at the local or state level or as an election worker, uh, and recognize that we all have a responsibility to uh, ensure that our democracy thrives moving forward. Thank you so much. Recorder Fontes. And, and I'll just piggyback on what the secretary said, because she and I are panel buddies, as you know, uh, we appear on these panels together. So it's great to see you again, Jocelyn. In doing that work, in speaking that truth, have guts, have faith, and make sure that you have sort of all of our American ideals in mind all along the way, right? This is really where the voter's experience is critical. And if you really direct yourself towards the voter is who matters here, not the politicians, not the campaigns, but the voters. If you're focused in that way, regardless of where you are in the process, you're going to have great elections, uh, elections that we can all believe in and share together with pride as Americans. That's a great way to end this panel. Thank you both. Thank you to New Deal. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. <laughs>